Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. My guest today has been pioneering the podcasting industry in the Middle East for many years and is paving the way for the future of all podcasters in the region. Her journey began back in 2015 when she decided to take her passion for telling stories and turn it into a podcast called Kerning Cultures. She has always loved building communities and having an impact on the lives of others. So as the popularity of the podcast grew over the years, she decided that she wanted to do more and turn it into a business and a podcast network. Fast forward to today, herself and her team have built a company that now hosts seven shows across their Kerning Cultures network. They have five in Arabic and two in English. Their shows regularly top the podcast charts across the Middle East and are the first and only venture-backed podcast company in the Arab world in addition to being a female-led company. During this episode, we discuss the future of the podcasting industry. She shares with us her journey and her experience of shifting from a podcast to a business. And we talk about the importance of storytelling and its impact in shaping our perceptions of who we truly are and our outlooks on life. She is someone that has been incredibly influential in my own podcasting journey. Her workshop and advice have played a huge role in getting me to where I am today. And as she says, it's all about telling stories that people love and creating those special moments that could change everything. Please welcome to the show the co-founder and CEO of the Kerning Cultures Network, the one and only Miss Hiba Fisher. Thank you for having me, Khaled. I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it and I appreciate your time. I'm sure you're super busy at the moment. So for those of you who don't know, me and Hiba actually met a few months ago back at a podcast workshop that she hosted. And it's I learned a lot in that class. And it's because of that that I've actually been able to you know get to where I am today. So thanks, Hiba, for that. I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to start, you probably had to do this a couple of times over the years, but I'm curious to see how you do it right now. For people who don't know, how would you, in your own words, describe what is Kerning Cultures and what's it all about? Um, sure. So uh, Kerning Cultures is a podcast network. Um, we started in Dubai and we now have producers uh, across the region, Beirut, Cairo, Riyadh. Um, and, uh, and we produce what we call immersive podcasts for the curious listener. Uh, and so we have uh, seven shows underneath, underneath the network of, of Kerning Cultures, five in Arabic and two in English. And uh, our shows regularly top the podcast charts across the Middle East. Um, we're also the first venture-backed podcast company in the Arab world, uh, I think the only uh, till now. And, uh, and we also uh, happen to be a female-led company. That's awesome. It sounds like uh, I remember when we had the workshop and you're explaining your story. And so what I did to prepare for this recording is I listened to your episode on Al Empire, actually. <laughs> so I wanted to get as much, you know, insight info as possible. So it was really cool to like listen to your journey and how you got here. So like you mentioned, you said you have seven shows, two in English and five in Arabic. So I started thinking to myself, how do you guys decide on what shows to create? What does that process look like? Where does that inspiration come from? Yeah, um, so we always start from things that we're excited about as a team. Uh, I think a really good guiding uh, guiding rule for creating content is um, is to create things that you're obsessed with. Um, and so our, our producers literally fall down rabbit holes uh, of excitement <laughs> trying to understand, you know, 
the way the world works, a, a certain story, trying to, you know, solve a mystery, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and, uh, and then from a practical standpoint, what we do is we look at the market and we see what exists and what market gaps there might be. We look at what shows are doing really well and can we do something differently? Uh, should we do something new? Um, I mean, the Middle East podcast scene is still, it's, it's growing insanely fast, but it's still such a burgeoning industry. There's maybe a thousand, maybe 1500 active podcasts coming out of the entire region, um, which is like very, it's, it's very small compared to a market like the US, for example, where there's upwards of 350,000 active shows. Um, and so we're just at the beginning of, of, of really this, this new wave of, of, of media. Uh, and, uh, and so within that space, it's really exciting because you can actually make an impact, right? You can create something that, that hasn't been done before. Um, and so uh, so we have a, a ton of ideas of, of shows. Um, we'll often poll our listeners and see what, what they would be most excited about or an angle of a certain genre that, that we want to do. Um, and for us as a network, we're, we really believe in creating uh, yeah, a multitude of, of genres. We, we, we think media should be as diverse as, as our listeners. Um, and so we're, we're dabbling around with a fiction show, for example. Uh, we're looking at some historical stuff, some science stuff. Um, but everything at the heart is always... It's always content that our team is 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 obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing you said, um, I remember listening to the episode was when you started, you started off doing it with current cultures itself with just talking about entrepreneurship, you know, start with what you know. So I guess to do something that you're obsessed with makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so listening to the episode, it was interesting. So for people who don't know, they are the first backed uh, podcast in the Middle East. And they, you did that through going through Matter, uh, the Accelerator, and you guys listening to what that program entailed sounded really intense. Five months, reviews, uh, every getting feedback constantly. It must have been pretty intense. But going back, you also went to the MIT Arab Enterprise Competition a few years before that. And what was interesting is that at that point, you said you didn't win anything. But not only did you meet Ramzi, which was awesome. And that's kind of how you guys got started. But what lessons do you, did you learn from that experience? Do you think carried through to the whole matter experience? Um, not very much. Uh, <laughs> um, I think, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think MIT Arab Enterprise Forum did. And, and I, I'm such an advocate for, for that competition. I really think it was one of like the first real startup events uh, in, in the Middle East and bringing entrepreneurs uh, together from all across the region and you're like you're in a hotel for a week together there's a series of workshops and I mean the biggest the biggest takeaway I'm, I'm okay I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to uh, education in general uh, but and especially as an entrepreneur right like you're, you're starting something because you can think you can do stuff better uh, and so I think like putting me in a classroom environment is really hard <laughs> because I have a lot of opinions about the way things work um, so from a, from a learning perspective I don't think um, this is so mean to say I, I, I don't like there wasn't there wasn't any lasting impact in terms of the content uh, of of the of the competition where the real value you was is in I was in a room and in a hotel for five days with hundreds of other entrepreneurs and founders from across the region and those are friendships that I still have today like those people are still in my life uh, a few of them came to my wedding like those are you know th those are like really I think that's the most powerful piece of it um, and then from a from a sort of a second dimension of of the value of that program was for us as Kerning cultures when I first 
came up with the idea for starting what at the time was just a single podcast. Uh, and, and I knew I wanted it to be a business. Um, as part of the application process for MIT Arab Enterprise Forum, they, MIT Arab Enterprise Forum, they ask you to fill in a business model canvas, which is a like a one-page business plan. Um, and at any point in your process when you're starting something, writing down what it is that you want to do from the different perspectives of who is your customer, what is the problem that you're solving, that is incredibly instructive. Um, and so for that stage at the very beginning of, of, of this journey, just having something down on paper and like forcing, like having that discipline where you needed to answer those questions, that was that was incredibly useful. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I didn't know that you always had the ambition to turn the podcast into a company. I, I never, I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought it just kind of, you know, as things developed, you decided, you know, why not make it a network? Because the feedback that you were getting at Matter was like, why don't you think bigger? And why don't you make this into a network? And that interested me because I was like, uh, I've never even thought of that for like myself and like what, I, what I'm doing. You know, I'm like, I'm just making a podcast and we'll see what happens. But I never thought, how could this be bigger? So I thought that was really, really, it was really, really interesting. Um, going from a podcast to creating a podcast network. Now, that's quite a big jump, I'd say. So how did you, I guess, what were the biggest things that you had to start changing maybe from a mindset perspective about, okay, this is not just about having a good podcast and you know, bring amazing people on to tell a story. Now we're trying to make this into a business. What are the biggest things that had to change to make that possible? Um, a, a lot had to change. So, uh, from a production standpoint, like figuring out, <laughs> figuring out one show is hard, figuring out how to run seven simultaneously and, you know, hopefully 25 in the next couple of, of years is like, like getting that sorted from a production standpoint of you have to have certain deadlines. What are the release schedules? What does the marketing look like for all the different shows simultaneously? Because that is a beast unto itself as, as our marketing director, Bella Ibrahim will tell you. Um, and, uh, and just like having that engine perfectly oiled, uh, is th that, that, that took an adjustment period for sure. Um, from a monetization standpoint, it becomes a lot easier because now you're selling across your network's audience as opposed to a single show's audience. And so if one episode isn't doing as well, but five other are doing well, it carries. And, and then just in general, your numbers continue to grow. Like at the end of the day, podcasting, when you're talking about monetization, it's a volumes game. And so multiplying downloads times number of episodes across multiple shows, like then it becomes a lot easier uh, to, you know, like our growth Alhamdulillah has been insane because we've continued to produce so many more shows. Um, and, uh, and then, and then the other thing is just like structurally from an operations perspective. And so the fact that we went from, we were at the time of closing our seed round uh, a year ago, we were, uh, two full-time and two part-time. And then we grew within a matter of three months to a team of 12, five full-time and seven part-time. And so just hiring and finding the right people and then, you know, building the team and everybody like working together and, and you know, having all the different, uh, um, like the different departments of the, of the company working uh, in, in harmony, like all of that is just from a process perspective. There was, there was a, like, there's a, there's an adjustment that happens as, as you figure all of that out. But alhamdulillah, now we have that. Now we got that down. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to, the, you mentioned something interesting about the monetization uh, aspect, because that's something that I've been thinking about, you know, going forward in the future. How do you start monetizing this? Um, and you said something interesting is it's purely volume based. So do you guys not have any 
sponsors or advertisers that you guys run throughout the podcast as well? Or how does it, what's your strategy behind that? Volumes based from the perspective that the numbers become a lot more attractive uh, because you, you, you just have a, like you have more inventory to sell across inventory, meaning the episodes uh, you have uh, more downloads because it's now like multiplied across all the different episodes um, from a from a, from a monetization perspective, the way that we approach kerning cultures. So we sell ads across our episodes um, and we can geo target based on where uh, where listeners are and where brands are interested in. So if there's a, a Dubai based company that's only interested in targeting the UAE, for example, that's something that we're able to do, which is really interesting for them. Um, and uh, and then we also um, we license our shows or, and our episodes, uh, and so we'll exclusively or non-exclusively sell our stories to other podcasts, other radio stations. Um, we're talking with some streaming platforms about some about some deals, inshallah. Um, and then uh, and then we also do white label production for brands, um, and so we'll produce podcasts for them. And Kerning Culture's name doesn't appear on the show, uh, but it's it's their first podcast or their second podcast. Um, and as more and more brands in the region are starting to wake up to the to the fact that oh my god, my audiences are on podcasts. You know, 5.1 million listeners in Saudi, 1.3 million podcast listeners in the UAE, listening to five to seven hours of podcasts a week. Maybe I should be there. Uh, they're 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 coming to us to produce the shows for them. Okay, that's really really interesting because again, you it's so interesting hearing the way you talk about it because it's from such a business perspective <laughs> and it's completely different to mine. So I'm like there's target there's audiences there and volume and i'm just i'm like okay this there's a lot i need to learn <laughs> moving forward um you mentioned uh, the coming back to the sponsors so initially when you guys were getting sponsors on the shows was it did, were you looking for sponsors that were going to i guess align with the brand of the show or you know just to start was it about just you know getting some sponsors on to start that you know that whole thing rolling um till now it's always about getting brands that align with with what we're doing, uh, like we're we're very picky. I mean, we have we have an awesome audience uh, who who trust us, um, and they trust our storytelling. And all of our ads are host read ads, and so it's always in the voice of the host. And so that comes across almost as like a friend's endorsement, right? And so we're very particular. Like there's always ad music underneath an ad. Like you're very it's very clear that this is not part of the episode. This is an ad. Uh, but the fact that it is coming across like a friend's endorsement, uh, I mean, we take that responsibility very seriously. And so we make sure that we only work with brands that we like and that we believe in um, and, uh, and and that we think our listeners would be interested in because then it's a win-win. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing uh, that I learned was when uh, you guys were closing your seed round and getting the investors on board and how spotify at that time announced that they're going to put 500 million into the landscape of podcasting and so you sent that out and you're like guys look it, it, is, it is growing there is value and it's hilarious that this happened yesterday and we're talking today and here we are there's joe rogan we just signed a hundred million dollar deal with spotify which i think is crazy so how do you what are your thoughts around that and how do you feel about you know the future of podcasting moving forward I mean, this is the future. <laughs> like, this is this is, an, and all of these signals are happening in the U.S. Right, uh, and and internationally. I mean, China has an insane podcast uh, podcast scene. The industry was worth seven point three billion U.S. dollars last year from paid subscriptions of podcasts alone. Not even looking at ads or sponsorship or, or licensing. Otherwise, um, I, I mean, this is this is a global phenomenon. I think the really exciting thing is that this hasn't this hasn't hit the Arab world yet. 
Um, and so we're just at the beginning of that wave and, and podcasters that get in from now, uh, I mean, that's, that's where the, I, I think that's where the real opportunity is. Um, and it's, it's so exciting to see more and more podcasters like yourself Khaled, with, with hope it helps who are, who are, yeah, yeah, I mean, at, at the heart of, of what we're doing is we're like media is such a powerful thing in how it shapes our perceptions of ourselves. And I think the fact that we, in general, it's not just from from a podcast perspective, but Arab media is is it. We're not doing a good enough job, right? It hasn't been like that for for years, and especially for for our generation. Like you 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 watch al-Musalsalat and film, and you listen to the radio, and you don't see yourself in any of it, right? It's like the same storyline over and over, and and. Anyway, so I, I think like at the heart of what's exciting about podcasting is the fact that we are there's there's amazing content that's starting to to come out uh, from 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 the Middle East and and for yani for us I, I think that that is amazing and then on top of that and the fact that there is such a growing demand for listeners there's such a growing demand for podcasters. Um, just from an industry perspective, from a commercialization perspective, it's really exciting. And you can look internationally for things like the fact that Spotify just paid Joe Rogan a $100 million licensing deal. I mean, when we have the same kind of traction in the Arab world in terms of millions and millions and millions of listeners, I have no doubt the exact same thing is going to happen either from a Spotify or a teaser or an Ngami. I mean, there's you can you can just pick. <laughs> Um, it was so funny. I was telling my friends when I read that, I'm like, guys, uh, you know, this makes me really hopeful because, you know, he's a bald guy. I'm a bald guy. He's got a podcast. I got a podcast. So I'm like, I'm halfway there. It's just now about getting another thousand episodes under the belt. <laughs> I will get there someday. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you seem to have a pretty tight knit team. Uh, from that's I guess what I heard from, you know, the episode that you recorded with Dana and you guys seem really close. Um, but something I have spoken about in my previous companies with like the CEOs and stuff. And since you're the CEO of a company, as companies grow, it tends to people, uh, the work culture tends to get lost. That thing that made that company so special seems to like fall away when it becomes, I guess, uh, too corporate, you might say. So as you guys continue to grow and so on, I'm just curious to hear how, what are your thoughts around, you know, maintaining that essence of what current cultures actually is? Yeah, uh, and and the the easy answer is I, I don't know how to continue doing that. Like I think one of the things I, I'm I'm conscious of is um, I think I need training <laughs> in like leadership. Like I don't I don't know how to manage a team of a hundred people. I've I've never done it before, and um, and so I, I I that very much is uh, is a goal of that the same kind of close knit family. Uh, that we have right now is as the team building kerning cultures will continue to feel like that even when we're a hundred person team and and in even more than seven cities around the world um but uh but i i, I don't have any tips of how to do that like I, i'll probably do the exact same stuff that i'm doing now but i i'm sure that there's there's processes that i can learn of like i don't know regular check-ins or i i i, I don't know yeah I, I don't know how to do that um but it's definitely something i i want to be very conscious of yeah, no, I, I totally understand and appreciate the honesty. Not many people, people be like, oh, I have this idea, this idea. So it's nice for people to say sometimes, yo, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, I was curious to ask you how, how do you guys go about finding your guests? Because that's something that I'm like kind of starting to not, I guess, struggle with, but I'm trying to think more strategically about it. Do they tend to come to you or, you know, what's the process look like for having guests and like bringing them on the show? 
Um, well, so, so maybe what'll be useful is to tell you how we, uh, how we think about our stories, how we produce an episode. So, um, it goes through, um, a process uh, and so what happens is well we have regular pitch meetings but then anyone on the team can just pitch stories and we're always getting pitches from listeners as well for like hey this crazy thing happened to me or have you looked into this or I read this article it's super cool maybe you guys should do a podcast about it um, and then when when we have an idea uh, and we put it together in a pitch which is just like a short like short paragraph of this is what the story could look like this is why I'm obsessed with it um, then we go about trying to find characters and sometimes there will be uh, and characters meaning the guests that we interview for, for the episodes. Um, sometimes there's already like a core character as part of the story. Like this is a story about this person. And so obviously you need to speak with them or their sister or their daughter, whatever it might be. Um, but, uh, but otherwise sometimes we want to find like supplementary characters to help fill in the details of, of that story. And so it takes a lot of research. I mean, we probably do maybe 15 hours of, of, of like prep and interviews. <laughs> I can see your face. Um, for, I mean, our, our style of, of production, and this is for our documentary style uh, shows. Like we have a, we have a show called Sukun, which is a short five minute daily guided meditation podcast uh, in, in Arabic. That does not take 15 hours of prep like that. That's, that takes prep, but it doesn't take 15 hours per, per episode of like research and finding the people. Um, and, uh, and then what we do is we do what we call a pre-interview, which is like a 15-minute phone call um, where we uh, actually f like speak with the people that we're interested to talk to and um, get a sense of what do they have to say about this particular topic. Are they articulate in the way that they speak, which is, which is really important because all you have to go off of is, is their voice. Um, and yes, we edit, but, but you want it really to come in the voice of, of the person. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's typically how how we how we decide the guests and the characters uh and and sometimes the the other thing is like sometimes we'll do um crowdsourced uh like we'll, we'll lean on our audience to help us find guests and so we'll we'll make a post on social media and we'll ask like hey we want to do an episode about uh about mental health like who do you have anybody who has an amazing story with that and then people will dm us and then we you know get on whatsapp and 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 uh and then and it goes from there yeah i think it's a really interesting idea to you know use engage the audience and bring them into the process and i think that makes them also feel a lot more you know connected and part of the show so i think that's a really great great way to go about it um and as you mentioned uh when we did the workshop and you were walking us through your process for like one sh documentary that you guys do or one story i was just sitting there and i'm like this is crazy i cannot believe how much pages and rewrites and efforts but i the thing is you guys are trying to tell a story so i understand that it needs that much work and that much you know research and stuff because the way we're doing it now having an interview is one thing okay i need to do some research but if i'm trying to tell a story i think it's completely different you know different animal and a different way to like go about it but one thing i thought about i'm like okay you're hippo's passionate about telling stories that's kind of why she started to current cultures and so on so if i asked you if you had to give a title to your own journey and to a, your story what would it be <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm I I suck at titles. I suck at uh I suck at naming things. I have no idea. Um in process. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um listening to um listening to some of the stories that you guys have told and so on, is there one in particular that really stands out for you over the last few years? I'm, I know they're all great and everyone's very different, but for you maybe personally, was there one that 
either the process or just what the story was that really touched you, you know, differently to the other ones? Um, there's so many. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll, so, so there's an episode on the Kerning Cultures show, um, which is an English, which is an English show, and uh, this is from like a year or so ago. Actually, Dana, uh, Dana and Alex produced this together, um, and it's called uh, Her Side of the Story. Um, and it's two non-narrated stories of women describing the aftermath of their divorce. Uh, one, one Egyptian lady and one uh, Lebanese lady. And actually the, Le- the Lebanese lady is Dana's mom. Um, and, uh, and Alex interviewed her, uh, Alex Atak, our managing producer for English. Um, and, uh, and, and that episode brings me to tears every single time I hear it. Um, it's really, really beautiful. It's so beautiful. And, and of course it's the kind of, um, it's the kind of intimacy of detail that you rarely ever hear, even if you're really good friends with somebody, right? Um, I think there's, I don't know, there's there's just a, it's it's not stuff that we talk about. Um, and uh, and in particular, um, uh, it, yeah, I, I think one of the detail, like one of one of the ladies speaks about the impact of the divorce on her kids, um, and and that I think just like breaks me every time. I, I, it's it's really beautiful to hear. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, those kind of stories really seem to, I think, resonate with people. Like from all the recordings that I've done, the two that have the most plays were the one I did with my cousin, which is about her divorce as well. And uh, the first one I did with one of my best friends, Yasmin, and that was just the first episode. But for some reason, it was quite a personal episode. And that's what seems to resonate a lot with people. So it's really interesting. It's a great thing that you're noticing um that i, I think at the the heart of good storytelling is 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 emotions and and heart right and that's 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 what really resonates with people is um is is the stuff that 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 moves us all right the stuff that moves moves our heart yeah yeah i think the more personal stories definitely seem to what's showing seems to have resonated more with with people but i've lot again by each episode i've absolutely you know love to do this whole podcasting experience has been a whirlwind of an adventure even though it's not been long it's been about what, three months but to we get an episode every week and it's funny that you said that when you guys started you did four episodes and you released them one a week and they didn't have anything for six months i remember about like episode five i was like i wasn't didn't have the quality the good audio for that week and i was like it was like friday night and i'm like oh my god it's supposed to come out tomorrow what am i gonna do <laughs> <laughs> We managed to get something together um, and work out. <laughs> when you look back at the last five years, did you ever think you'd be where you are today? And what do you miss the most about the old days? <laughs> um, um, I'd like to think that I uh, that I. I dreamt of, of where we are today. And by the way, it's not like we've arrived. <laughs> we have a long way to go. Like that's, I, I, I make no pretenses about that. Alhamdulillah, I'm really proud of what we've built, but there's, there's so much more uh, that we'd all like to do. Um, um, but, uh, but I, I do. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd like to believe that this is what I dreamt about. And, and my dreams now are, are much bigger um, for, for the next five, 10 years ahead um, uh, from like a, not a business perspective, but from a personal perspective, five years ago, I wasn't married. I was living at home with my parents and, um, and my dad is actually, uh, with us now. He came over, um, he was stuck in Saudi because of, uh, COVID and Dubai was closed. And so he came here, um, to, to Seattle in, in the U S. Um, and so it's been 
really, really special uh, living with a parent again. I only get that when I when I go back to Dubai, and 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 even then, like my dad travels a lot actually, so it's it's only one of the two parents. Um, but five years ago, that's that that's what I would miss from the old days. Is just uh, I think you. Um, it's funny when you're younger, you're so eager to grow up and be independent, and then. I think after university uh, was when I realized how much I like just miss being, you know, I just miss being at home and, and it, that time is really precious and one day you'll get married and move out of the house and you won't be living at home anymore. And, um, and so I, I miss that from, from the, from the quote unquote old days because I'm so old right now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that's something I definitely resonate with that as well. Uh, last few years, I was living in Amsterdam and then I moved back to Dubai a few months ago. So I've been living at home again, readjusting to life here. And because of COVID, like the whole situation as well, we've, like our parents, me and my parents, have, I think we've all become a lot closer as a family too, which has been really nice. Like every night we play cards and there's fights and there's like now there's a lot of beef and stuff. Like, oh, who's going to get it today? But it's not, it's really cool. It's, re- it's, been a, it's been a fun experience. So I definitely, I definitely relate to that as well. That's amazing. What card games do you play? Oh, hand every night. I don't know hand. What's hand? Maybe there's a diff. I don't know if there's a different name in English or that's the Arabic name, but it's called hand. So it's when you have to like get sets of cards and like put them down, and whoever finishes their cards first like wins, and you get like points, and like there's nine rounds, and oh, it's so intense. I've never heard of this game. I'm gonna Google it. This sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. There's actually I'll, I'll send you after. There's an app that I think you can play it virtually as well. You know, we've during this whole situation we've had like virtual tarnib tournaments with like all the cousins and the families. So we've had awesome. like a, a schedule every night, ten o'clock, guys. Okay, this team versus this team and stuff. So it's been cool. It's been a fun experience. This whole situation. Um, how has, I'm curious, how has like the whole situation affected you guys with like the podcast and the work? Has it dampened or like slowed down things or have you been able to do it virtually kind of like what we're doing now or how's it gone? Um, yeah, so, uh, we, Kerning Cultures was really well prepared <laughs> for COVID and, and remote work because we're a remote team anyway. We're, uh, 12 across seven cities, like five time zones. So this, this, this like remote work is is something that we we knew very well how to do um how it affected us was was a couple of ways so um production got harder um and so alhamdulillah we had a steady a a steady um a steady like buffer in terms of we had a ton of episodes a ton of interviews that we'd already done that we just needed to edit um but then new interviews became a lot harder to do so we had to get creative so we'll send easy to use recorders to guests homes and have them essentially self-tape sync or self-record um but then some people don't want to touch foreign packages right and so then we have to just resort to like squadcast or a zoom call and, and recording from that quality which i i try to avoid to do because i like especially for something like like we spoke about i mean Emotional stories, I think, are incredibly powerful. And when somebody is is um, storytelling at that level and then <laughs> the call cuts or the audio quality is crappy, like it just kind of detracts from the experience and is very distracting for the listener. Um, but, you know, that's just the reality of today. And, and I don't I don't know how to get beyond that. Um, the other way that it affected us was uh, was in terms of from a commercial perspective. So we had a number of deals that got delayed until summer and then one of the companies actually shut down. Like it's it's been that part's been that part's been hard. Um, but uh, but then from the positive side, um our audience numbers have spiked like crazy, alhamdulillah. Like we grew 70% Feb to March, 
30% March to April. We're on track to hit 80% April to May. Yeah, like it's, I mean, more and more people are listening to podcasts, even though I think um, globally there's been some trends where because we've lost that commute time, which is the typical time for when uh, people listen to podcasts. Um, for, for us, I think it's just a testament, alhamdulillah, to the quality of the of the content and um, that, that our, our numbers have just grown, which is which is awesome, alhamdulillah. Yeah, no, that's congrats. That's really, really amazing that the numbers have grown so significantly over the last few months. That's that's really awesome. Um, I'm very young into my journey, and every week I'm like, I check. I'm like, okay, SoundCloud, how many did I get here? Okay, Spotify, how many were there? Um, and early on, I was a bit like, if an episode didn't do so well, I was a bit like, mm, you know, I didn't feel felt too great about it. But again, I'm like. I watch a lot of Gary Vee and he's like, bro, it's not about, you know, the numbers. It's not about that. Just keep doing what you're doing and hopefully, you know, in time it'll pick up. How was it for you at the beginning? Was it hard to get a lot of listeners? Was there a tipping point when things like really just, you know, started to spike up in terms of audience? Yeah, there was a clear tipping point. And it's when we launched Arabic. Uh, so so Kerning Cultures was a predominantly English show. Uh, the, the flagship Kerning Culture show um, is a predominantly English language show. And it, it was this catch-all for a bunch of different styles and experiments. We dropped a couple of Arabic episodes that actually performed better than our English ones. And so it was an indication that yani, we, we needed to produce Arabic. Yani, we're, we're producing for that for the Middle East. Like It doesn't make sense to only produce in English. I think like living in Dubai and living in parts of Khadij, it like gives you a little bit of a bubble perspective of like what everybody wants and 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 that's just not it, it's not statistically uh, relevant if if you look more broadly beyond your your own bubble uh in, in terms of like I, I think that's why we started with english uh storytelling is because that's that's what we thought the demand would be for as soon as we launched arabic it was a huge like it's it's night and day and actually the majority of our of our audience is um is is across our arabic shows by by a long shot Okay, so you think the future, like moving like next couple of years, you think Arabic, uh, both shows I'm sure are still going to like exist, but you think the focus should be more into the Arabic and growing that since that seems to be where I guess people are resonating most with it? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think there's always going to be a place for English shows. Uh, and, and with it, we're also, I mean, we tap into diaspora, like 80 million diaspora around the world. And so that's uh, uh, Arab diaspora. And so I think, I mean, that's that's not a inconsequential number. Um, but, uh, but a hundred percent Arabic is where the growth opportunity is for, for, for media in general and in, in the region. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately I will not be, uh, following the Arab journey cause it's just not, <laughs> if I'm honest with myself, it's just not my thing. I'm just, you know, that's not what I'm passionate about, what interests me, but you know, that's why seeing someone who's done it and it works gives me a different perspective as well. Cause you know, I'm like, okay, shit. An Arabic show, you know, Arabic show would work here. That's really cool. That's interesting to know. Um, when I heard the Empire episode, you mentioned that what you're or what you'd like to do, you're trying to build uh, a media empire, I think were the exact words that you said, and mm-hmm. a company that you're all proud of and so on. So let's say five years down the line, Spotify comes along with like, hey, Hiba, love what you guys are doing. Here's $100 million. You know, we'll do the Joe, give you the Joe Rogan deal. If that happened, what would you, I was think, trying to think about, I'm like, what would be next for you? What would you want to do if you weren't doing this? What have you, what is something else you've always wanted to do? What would be the next project? I can't see beyond this. Um, I think, I think, I, I, I mean, I, I always want to be telling stories for the rest of my life. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, I mean, inshallah, we, we get a deal like that from, from a Spotify or a Deezer or an, or an Ngami, uh, 
and then I'd still want to be involved. Um, I just won't have the pressure of of finances anymore, and all of our investors would be very happy with with their handsome returns. And um, I don't know, maybe I would take more vacations uh, and sail around the world. But uh, but otherwise, I I, I always want to be telling stories. I, I, there's there's something. Um, it, it feeds your soul in a, in a really beautiful way, right? Like to, to be able to, um, to, to have that trust from a guest you're interviewing for them to open up and tell you their story and then to repackage it uh, and, you know, reorder it so it's in a way that a listener um, finds most, most compelling and, and for that restructure for the guest to feel like you've still done their story justice um, is, is incredibly powerful and 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 then also from a from an intellectual perspective like we're always like I said in the, in the beginning every show that we do it starts from a place where where, where producers are obsessed right like you're, you're trying to learn something you want to know how something works and so the best way they say the best way to master something is to teach it and that's kind of what storytelling is right is like you need to learn it first and then represent it in in a story form and and that's a demonstration that you you actually understand it right um and so that's very intellectually fulfilling you know you can just kind of follow whatever you're curious about and 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 that process of of telling the story to somebody else you've now learned it and understood it uh yeah i want to be doing that for the rest of my life Uh, that's awesome that's awesome to hear that you kind of found this what you love and this is what you're passionate about so think a lot of times you know my own experience as well I never really knew what I wanted to do but then falling into starting this I was finally like oh hell yeah this is it like this is what I want to do I love I love this so much it's so much fun and you learn so much and you get to speak to great people as well and hear their stories and how they you know built what they built and came to where they came and their whole journey so I totally agree with you from that perspective <laughs> um in the early days of uh, Korean culture's I think you, you were the one that was doing a lot of the interviewing and maybe now you've taken a bit of a step back or how does it work now? And do you miss doing the interviews yourself or how does it work? Uh, yeah, in, in the early days um, and up until recently, I was uh, a lot more involved in production. Um, from, and from that perspective, it was interviews, it was uh, research, finding characters, coming up with stories. Um, I'm not as involved anymore um, I, and, and I don't need to be. I need the team as thousand times more talented than 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 I am in in production um but uh um I I do some interviews the last interview I did uh was maybe two months ago um and I I think I'm due for another one next month we're actually doing for the Kerning Culture show we're doing a producer challenge again um which is something uh that (laughs) that listeners really loved from the first uh from the first season and so we um we basically uh, asked our audience uh, to send us on a wild goose chase of like if if you wanted us to tell a story about something what would that topic be and so we um, we got everybody's responses we picked one and now the producers compete with one another in secret uh, and so normally it's a very collaborative process but this is like super cutthroat competitive not at all but everyone's just trash talking on slack um, and uh, and so you like each of us are working on our own story uh, in in silo and then we'll patch it all together for an episode and so that that's that's the next one that I'm due for like interviewing uh which which I'm excited about and 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 that like I love it I I love that I get to dip um 
that I can dip back into production because that's stuff that really feeds me. Uh, but alhamdulillah, like, I, I, don't, I don't need to at all. I mean, our team is, is incredibly talented, mashallah. Yeah. Um, one thing that uh, I think Dana was on who was interviewing said is that every episode kind of which it marks a moment in everyone's lives on the team. And I thought that was a really special way to talk about, I guess, how people feel about, you know, each episode and the amount of work that goes in and the team. And even at the end, when you were saying, um, thanking her for coming on, it was so like sincere. And I was like, oh man, this is so cute. Like there's so much emotion like involved, uh, which is awesome, which is awesome. It sounds like you have a really, really, really good team. So looking at the next five years, I know, I think you we spoke, you mentioned it briefly, but what would you, what would you like to do with current cultures? What do you see as the vision for the next five years? Um, in the next five years, I want uh, Spotify, Deezer, and Remy to buy us uh, for a crap ton of money. Um, uh, and and the the reason for that is because we would have built an amazing audience. Um, I mean, we want to we want to reach millions of listeners across the region. Uh, we want to hit you know twenty twenty five shows like shows that we're so excited about that continue to top the podcast charts like ours do now. And we want to experiment with a bunch of different genres. Um, I mean, there's there's so <laughs> there's so much left that 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 we're still really really excited about uh, producing um, from a team perspective. Uh, you know, growing growing our team, building out um, hubs. Uh, like right now, it's it's we're all kind of floating, and I'd love to have um, kind of any a, a couple of offices that we can all walk into um, together. I think that that would be such a <laughs> such a luxury. Um, and uh, and and you know it, we we want to tell the kinds of stories that listeners love, like creating those those moments where you're driving to your destination and you get there and you're sitting in the car park and you uh, don't get out of the car because you want to finish the episode. You know, like those kinds of moments that that um, that are just so so special and um, and you know we want to keep we want to keep doing that for our listeners and. Um, and the other thing that I really, really believe in as a media company is I, I don't, I really believe that media should be a two-way channel of communication. I don't believe that we're just like putting stuff out on our feed and, and that's it, but really, really engaging our audience, um, in as, as many ways as we can, you know, for things as simple as like replying to comments that they put on social media or, um, sourcing story ideas from them or hosting listening parties or, having listener inspired shows like I, I just I want to get better at that as well um of of really uh creating like it's not just us building this 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 media empire right it's our listeners helping to shape it as well yeah um I think that goes in perfectly with you loving to build communities and so on so kind of building a company and a community to go along with it so that makes total sense and I think that's the best way to do it as well I think if you can engage people and show them that you know we're here we're listening to you and also we appreciate that you're listening to us i think it just creates a much better relationship you know moving forward for for everyone involved i think yeah yeah you might you guys mentioned something about uh listening parties which i thought was pretty in cool or interesting what a could you tell me what that's about it sounded like a really interesting idea I'm like what is that what, what goes on there 
Yeah. Um, so a listening party is uh, something we host in the different cities around the world where we have producers, um, where we gather our uh, our community in, in coffee shops, art galleries, people's living rooms, um, and we'll play. It's a, it's a really nerdy, uh, fabulous evening. Uh, so we'll play an episode uh, from whichever show, whether it's Bihob or Jassadi or, or, or El Empire. Um, and then we'll uh, facilitate a, a discussion about the show, about that particular episode afterwards. Um, and so it's this really like one one listener said it's this very meditative experience to sit in a room full of strangers and just listen to a story like we don't we don't do that anymore. Um, and, uh, and 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 then to have this discussion about it and those discussions are like some of hands down some of my most favorite uh, yani evenings ever. And and it's very much like um, it's <laughs> it's like being a part of a book club, but you don't have to read the book beforehand. Um <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. Uh, I went to one like listening party or listening night back in Amsterdam. They had this place. They had story nights every night. And like you said, it's a really cool experience when you're all like in a room and you're not and you're just listening to someone tell a story. Like it has a really special, I think, energy to it. And you really feel connected to the speaker and the topic. So no, I totally agree. Ah, Heba. I wanted to say, first of all, because I know we're short on time. I want to say thank you so much, so, so much for coming on the podcast number one number two thank you so much for the podcast workshop because that's why i'm here right now <laughs> all those lessons came in handy um what i like to do at the end of every um episode is just ask my guests what's the last what's the message that they would like the listeners and the audience for people to take home uh well first thank you for having me uh and thank you to sharif my cousin for introducing us and putting us together in the first place um uh, and uh, and I'm really um, I'm so excited for you, Khaled, and and I I, I I love the concept behind Hope It Helps, and um, and so I'm just I'm honored to be a part of it. Uh, um, what is a message I want to leave with listeners? Right, um, Mubarak. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think Aid Mubarak works fine. <laughs> 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 no, that's, that's awesome um yeah thank you so much for your time again i really do appreciate it uh, and thank you guys for everyone who's listening as always uh you can find it all over the place and as always guys hope it helps <laughs> peace <laughs>